Greetings, film fans, and welcome to another episode of the Following Feature Podcast. I'm your host, Arthur Wilde, and I'm here every week to give you a rundown of all the latest film news and gossip. Plus, we like to review at least three films a week that you can watch um, that are either on streaming platforms, on TV, or maybe at the cinema, because, hey, things are opening up. But more on that later. First things first, let's get stuck into the new, the film news, the new, the new film news, the new film that is news, it's new news, that's film news. How are we doing so far? Should I restart? Nah, fuck it, let's keep going. Right, first things first, China. They're back in the news again, um, not for any nefarious reasons, just for us film fans and uh, how much they're affecting the release of films internationally at the moment. As we mentioned last week, um... There was a bit of an embargo going on with films being released in China because the uh, laws in regards to the easing of the lockdown in China uh, mean that they can't have people sat in the same room together for more than two hours. And with a lot of films with a running time of over two hours, it meant that they were just simply not going to release big films in China. With films like Tenet... Tenet... Oh, Jesus, that film. that, That title, I swear to God... If I ever meet Chris Nolan, well, let's let's face it, I'm just probably going to be really nice and kiss his ass because he's an amazing film director. But if I had the balls to, I'd tell him that's a fucking frustrating title. Anyway, let's move on. China have now, they've, they've basically come to a compromise and um, certain, uh, certain cinemas are being selected by the government, uh, without actually being ordered, um, to add breaks, um, you know, little intermissions that mean that people don't actually sit in the same room for a certain period of time. Um, and they're testing this out with films that are being re-released. As you know, a lot of films are being re-released because there aren't many new releases at the moment. So to fill up those cinema screens of all those multiplexes, they're re-releasing a load of classics. Again, I'll go into that a bit later on. Um, but in China, the films that they've been testing it out with uh, include Ford versus Ferrari uh, and Harry Potter, the Philosopher's... Harry Potter... Harry Potter... How the fuck am I cocking up Harry Potter? Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone is one of the films being used. Um, They're also uh, testing it out with Interstellar. So basically, they felt the heat from uh, Tenet not being released um, and the amount of pressure being put on them. So they're actually testing this idea with a Christopher Nolan film to see will people come back in for the second half? I mean, I'm sure they will. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever done this, but I've I've been to cinemas to watch multiple films in one sitting. It can be quite, you know, a bit of a butt-numbing type situation. But if it's a nice cinema with comfortable seats, it's usually all right. Um, I think the last time I was in a cinema for more than uh, five or six hours uh, was for the release of Last Jedi. Um, they showed Force Awakens and Last Jedi back to back, and yeah, that, that's you got my money. Take it, take 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 my money. I will definitely do that. Um, I really got envious as well when they were talking on um, uh, Big Bang Theory about a Planet of the Apes marathon. I love those films, especially the old ones. I'd love to do that. But hey, um, so what they're doing at the moment in China is they're trying to test out this idea of having intermissions, um, just to see if they can actually. You know, it works and, and the people are okay with it. And uh, hopefully that means that um, Tenet will actually be coming out. I think they're looking at the end of August internationally, but I think in China, 
Um, they're looking at like early September. Um, so don't be surprised if that's the release date we get as well. Um, I think what they'd want to do is get it released on the same date internationally because otherwise, especially with the situation with lockdown, the, the um, popularity of piracy has uh, rocketed. The amount of people that can't get to cinema, can't get out and do this, that and the other, stuck at home with nothing to do. The the popularity of, of pirate films online has, has rocketed, which is understandable. Um, and you've seen a lot of streaming services try to get ahead of that by putting films out and just trying to give people access to things that they wouldn't normally have access to. Um, so, yeah. Hopefully this works, because it means internationally we, we'll all get the films that we've been looking forward to, um, and there'll be no delay to any long films. I mean, to be honest, I don't really want to be in the cinema too long myself. Um, I'm going to give it a try. I've booked my first cinema ticket since lockdown, and uh, I'm going to go along this Tuesday. Basically, the way I looked at it, I thought, go on a weeknight um, and go late. Because uh, you know, I'm going to go see Unhinged, which is I I believe it's directed by Clint Eastwood, and it stars Russell Crowe as a guy that basically has a bad day with road rage. But instead of the hilarious consequences that we saw in Falling Down with Michael Douglas, what we're going to see on this is quite a brutal and violent um, consequence, uh, like what happens when one man finally snaps, and what if that one man happens to be quite a dangerous and calculated individual, um, you know. Sounds like an interesting enough premise, but Clint Eastwood, God, recently he's been quite, you know, known for his um, propaganda films and um, in his, in his, you know, senior years, um, he doesn't seem to be quite the um, comprehensive uh, man of film that we used to know. I just, I'm not really sure what to expect of this. I haven't seen that Richard Jewell film yet. I might need to check that one out first. But I'm going to go along on Tuesday, uh, Tuesday evening, and watch that. I've got a front row ticket because I don't want anyone to be budging past me or doing all that that kind of jazz. Um, I really don't see how it's supposed to work, but I'm going to go down there in my mask. Um, and it's not a film I'm desperate to watch, so if the situation doesn't feel too healthy to me and I don't feel too comfortable, I'm, I'm walking. I really am. Um, I've been a quite a, a germaphobe about this whole situation. Uh, which, you know, is, is kind of understandable. Um, I'm around people that are close to me that have uh, pre-existing health conditions, and I don't want to be, you know, selfishly passing it on to people that, that might not deal with the virus as well as someone like me. I'm not even that young and healthy myself, so who knows? Anyway, China, thank you. Hope that works, because we've got films we need to see. Um, now, Moving on to the next bit of news, and I'm, I'm, I'm quite sure that this bit of news isn't going to lead me down a tangent of personal stories, etc. Because it's about Jean-Claude Van Damme. I don't think anything in my life really relates to Jean-Claude Van Damme. I really wish it did. That'd be fantastic. Um, and of all the films that I've worked on and, and actors that I've worked with, I, yeah, Van Damme would be an awesome one. Um, but unfortunately, not. Now, that might change because he is looking to make a new film with Netflix. And uh, it's called The Last Mercenary, and it's set to be his first action comedy about a former Secret Service agent who must urgently return to the country when his estranged son is falsely accused of arms and drug trafficking by the government following a blunder by overzealous bureaucrat and a mafia operation. Now, it sounds like a pretty simple premise. Um, 
easy setup for a film. Um, but Jean-Claude Van Damme getting into the, the world of comedy action might be a good move at the moment because with actors like himself, he's got to that, that age now where if he takes himself too seriously, um, it's just not going to work. It's not going to, it's not going to, you know, I, I, I think he needs to adapt um, to who he is now rather than who he used to be. Uh, you see the likes of, um, I don't know, Dolph Lundgren. Uh, they're coming back, and, and when he made his appearance in The Expendables, it was kind of a tongue-in-cheek, uh, you know. And that, those those films were pretty much all tongue-in-cheek, and they had a bit of a kind of a, a self-aware kind of humour to them, which, you know, made them enjoyable. They kind of lost their way and then tried to become, like, real serious action films, and, uh, yeah, yeah, it just didn't quite work. Um, they were one of the many franchises that thought, you know what's going to really improve our franchise and makes a huge success? Let's have Ronda Rousey do some acting. Um, the former UFC champion, um, who quite famously built a name for herself in very rapid time, um, as an amazing fighter. Um, then kind of got found out as a fighter. Um, wasn't the, the star of the show anymore and kind of walked away from that. Tried to be an actress, but didn't really have any success with that because she was quite poor. So walked away from that. And now, what can you do if you don't want to fight properly anymore and you can't really act? You become a wrestler. Um, you know, some great wrestlers have turned into fantastic actors. Uh, some people have that natural ability. I, uh, yeah, I don't see that. Not with her. Um, she was great for a brief time in the UFC, but meh. Jean-Claude Van Damme, however, he's still someone that I think holds uh, a lot of weight as an actor. Um, and whilst there is, you know, a great desire to have some of these um, retro action movies, like 80s and 90s style action movies, make a bit of a comeback, um, and directors like Jesse B. Johnson are, are churning them out, it, it really depends on how you're approaching the genre. Because for me personally, it is a very particular genre. And you do, if you do things in a certain way, in a kind of almost kitschy kind of setup for action movies that that eighties and nineties action films had, um, then you can really kind of, I feel you can make a film that that has a lot of, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, has integrity. Uh, because whilst those action movies of the 80s and 90s were quite throwaway, it did establish a certain type of film that attracted a huge audience. Um, and whilst it might not be important in a lot of people's eyes, as far as filmmakers or, or film fans are concerned, there are certain people that recognise the qualities that were established in the 80s and 90s with these action films that can still be applied to certain films, but while some people have tried to make modern action films with a similar premise, again, the problem is you take yourself too seriously and you kind of lose your way a bit. Um, with Jesse V. Johnson, what he's tried to do is is keep the plot, you know, it doesn't have to have real tangible drama to it. It just needs to be um, a setup for great character dynamics and uh, set pieces of action and comedy and, you know, I th I really think I I'm going to, have to do a special on him actually at some point. Um, as you might have seen on social media, I was supposed to be doing a Sp Steven Spielberg special this week, but for me to just kind of fit it in in the last half hour and just kind of 
smash out three quick reviews and, and tell you why three particular films somehow sum up a director whose career has spanned 40 odd years um, and has done so many incredible things in so many different genres. I'm not going to do that. This this is a, a crime podcast. Well, I'm going to do crime films today and we're going to do a St- Steven Spielberg special on Wednesday. And I think there's going to be a series of these um, Wednesday podcasts where I just simply talk about one director in particular. This Wednesday is going to be about Steven Spielberg and the influence and uh, importance of his influence um, throughout the decades that he's been making films. Um, And then I think I might move into more, um, well, directors that I think are definitely worth paying attention to. Obviously, I want to look at Tim Burton. I want to look at the Coen brothers. I I definitely want to have a look at Luke Besson because he's one of my favourite filmmakers. Um... And then, you know, beyond that, Denis Villeneuve is, is definitely one. Um, but uh, people like Jesse V. Johnson and Edgar Wright and, you know, those kind of people um, that really do seem to have a unique take on a certain genre and have created their own niche. Um, yeah, we'll get onto that. There's there's so much to be unpacked with all these different things that it just feels like I'm I'm limiting myself if I try to, you know, shoehorn it into an episode of the regular podcast like we're doing on Sundays. So I want these to continue. I like this premise, but yeah, maybe we can do something else on the side. That sounds a bit dirty, but anyway, um, this film that is going to be the first collaboration with Jean Claude Van Damme and Netflix, um, and I think you know it definitely has potential, um, but it all depends on on how the film is executed. Um, so we'll we'll have to keep an eye out for that one. Um, Netflix are also partnering up with uh, someone who has had huge success with them, Jason Bateman. Now, you might know Jason Bateman from uh, Arrested Development. You might remember him from Teen Wolf 2. Uh, but if you've been tuning into Netflix recently, you might know him best as the uh, star of and director of Ozark. Um, it's been a massively successful uh Feel like bleak noir type story of this family uh, forced into a situation where they're suddenly working for the cartel, laundering money. Um, absolutely fantastic TV series. Series three just finished recently, and it's been absolutely mesmerizing from beginning to end. Like it hasn't put a foot wrong, and I think it's one of the best written uh, TV shows in a long, long time. If you haven't checked it out, do go check out Ozark. Not that we're talking TV on this podcast, however. Um, but the next series of, of Ozark is going to be um, the final one. Uh, season four is going to be split up into two parts, um, but that will be the end of Ozark. So beyond that, they want to keep this relationship going. And they've um, hired Bateman to be the director of... Um, what was it called? I've got it written down here somewhere. Basically, um, he's working with screenwriter Simon Kimberg, who we know from uh, the last two X-Men films and the widely panned Fantastic Four movie, which isn't exactly very promising. But the film's called Here Comes the Flood, and it's described as a character-driven love story heist movie. So, it could be good. I mean, Jason Bateman at the moment, he's his success of um, Ozark has led to him also doing another series, uh, I think, on HBO called The Outsiders, which is based on a Stephen King book, and that's done quite well as well. So he's really gaining a name for himself as a director, um, as well as an actor. Don't you know? think for a second that he's not going to be casting himself as one of the main roles in this um, film. 
But yeah, we, we will have to wait and see what happens with that. As I say, that Simon Kinberg has not written what I can consider a decent movie so far. He's had a lot of success, but not really the critical acclaim that comes with it. Um, so yeah, keep an eye out for that one. We'll see what happens. I'm sure, you know, as soon as they start casting people, we'll, we'll get more information. But I'm really excited. I like Jason Bateman. I, pr I pretty much enjoyed almost everything that he did. Um... Uh, I even quite enjoyed those horrible bosses movies. They were they were bad movies. Don't get me wrong, but the um, I don't know something about the uh, relationship between those those actors because uh, it was a Jason Sudeikis and um, Charlie Charlie Day from It's Always Sunny. Yeah, that those three characters together were were a great combination. Even though they were a, it was a terrible film, sometimes it's just fun to watch good actors just having fun. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. What do you think? Um, in other uh, uh, terrible film news, um, Courtney Cox is joining ex-husband David Arquette and returning to the Scream franchise for the reboot from director Matt Bettinelli-Olpin and Tyler Gillett from the Radio Silence filmmaking group, uh, who actually are the ones that brought us Ready or Not and the VHS movies. I loved the VHS movies. Basically, it's just like a compilation of, of really freaky short films. Um, I, I, yeah, but... Really good. Um, uh, I, I don't know how to describe it, really. Um, they, they do horror, but they, they take it to interesting experimental levels to find out exactly what makes people tick. Um, so I'm interested to see what their take of their franchise is. However, I, I kind of feel like this one's been buried. Um, I don't know why people are coming back to the franchise. I mean, I can understand why David Arquette's coming back to it. It's, it's money for him. But Courtney Cox is still getting that friend's money. Um, so I don't know if she's spent it all already, but surely they're still getting millions every single day for um, a, a show that's that's constantly being... I mean, have you ever known a time when Friends wasn't on? It's been on so much that I'm kind of suspicious. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of thinking back to my childhood, like, before Friends was even a thing. And it's almost like I can remember watching it back then as well, which doesn't make any sense. Anyway, Courtney Cox is coming back. Um... Not Courtney Cox Arquette uh, anymore. Um, but yeah, I guess these two are willing to work together on on yet another screen film. No one else is coming back, as far as I know. Um, and unfortunately, we did lose Wes Craven, I think, about five years ago. Um, so who knows? Maybe maybe the, in, a, in a different pair of hands, with a fresh look, they might be able to do something with it. But... Uh, yeah, that's one of those ones that has you scratching your head. Like, really? I mean, who's who's greenlit this project? Did, did, did the last Scream film actually do well at all? I don't think it did. I think it was a, a quite a terrible mistake from the filmmakers in general. But who knows? Um, in other genuinely sad news, uh, Alan Parker, director of The Commitments, Bugsy Malone, Midnight Express and Mississippi Burning has died at the age of 76. Now, I mean, there's some there's some standout films there, and it's one of those lists of films where it's quite surprising to find out that they're all by the same guy. Um, Alan Parker, you know, Bugsy Malone, for example, uh, a kid's movie, musical, based on 1920s gangsters uh, with custard pie machine guns. I mean, that was a classic for me growing up. It's one of the most infamous movies from my childhood 
Um, where else would you find the likes of Jodie Foster acting alongside Dexter Fletcher? It's madness, absolute madness. But what a great, great film. Um, and whilst Midnight Express and Mississippi, Mississippi Burning are also very significant films, for me, um, growing up in an Irish family, the commitments was huge. I mean, it was just incredible. We'd never really had a film like that. And, and I was probably too young to watch it because there's a lot of really incredible, incredibly bad language in that film. Um, well, that's, a, that's subjective, actually. I mean, it depends on what you think is bad language. I don't give a flying fuck, as you may have realised by now. Um, but with the commitments, I was too young to watch it, but my parents kind of insisted. And it, at the time, it kind of feel, felt like it was an educational thing. Like, there weren't many films that covered Irish culture that weren't really kind of touching on, like, sort of the, the, the troubles or, like, the famine. Um, and, it, I, you know, it's one of those things where I can kind of empathise with um, black people that are sick and tired of... They see, like, oh, there's a, there's a big uh, film coming out about black people, like, but it's about slavery or it's about racism or it's about prejudice. And it's kind of like... There are other stories to tell. Um, and, you know, to, to see a story like this about just a covers band being started about people's dreams and aspirations um, being realised, um, but then being destroyed by, you know, just a, a calamity of different ideas and clashing personalities. It was a wonderful, wonderful film with an incredible soundtrack. You wouldn't think a, a film about um, Irish people trying to make it in the world would have a the, the best Motown soundtrack you've ever heard in your life. But it really did. It was absolutely incredible. And the great thing about it as well, like most of the cast weren't actors. They were genuine musicians that were brought in to play the part, um, you know, as authentically as possible. And it was a hugely significant significant film for me because, as I say, it was, it was great to watch Irish culture being represented in a way that wasn't, you know, on the nose. Um... Uh, it was a great comedy story as well. Uh, it was um, based on a book by Roddy Doyle, um, part of a, a trilogy of books that he'd, he'd written about a certain town. Um, is it Barrytown? Something like that. Um, and I think the, the follow-ons were The Van and The Snapper. Uh, again, great films, uh, but the commitments really kind of stood out because it was one of the first times we saw something like this. Um, and what really made it quite interesting as well, um, my first kind of association with anyone film-based my next-door neighbour at the time, her dad was an actor, and he played Joey the Lips Fagan in the film The Commitments, which made me feel like I had some kind of connection to Hollywood, like I knew someone famous. Never met the guy. Never met the guy. Um, but yeah, he did a fantastic job, and everyone did a fantastic job. It's a great, great film. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, we lost Alan Parker. Um, and, you know, that, that's... that's it's, what an incredible impact he had. I think there's going to be a lot of people now, now that he's died, looking back and, and just kind of realising what what he did for, for cinema, um, what he did for films and, you know, how much people he, how many people he influenced. I mean, you've got to remember, he, he directed Dexter Fletcher. Dexter Fletcher went on to, to, to make films himself. He directed Jodie Foster. Jodie Foster went on to make films herself. Um, and, you know, there, there are probably many more like that as well. Um, so, we sadly lost him, but he will be remembered for a very long time. And as I said before, um, there's immortality in great art. 
So he will live forever through his art. Now, moving on to movie reviews. As I said um, last week, we were talking about the possibility of doing a Steven Spielberg special. And I still want to do a Spielberg special because I do feel there's a lot to talk about in regards to, um, you know, what he means to the world of art, let alone just the world of, of cinema. Um, his, I mean, it all kind of came full circle with um, Ready Player One, uh, a book written under the influence of being part of the, the, the Spielberg watching generation. Um, and then to have the film made of it, directed by Spielberg. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. And as I say, we're going to do a special on Wednesday. So do keep an eye out for that one. Um, but yeah, I, I wanted to think about what I, I could do this week. And um, Martin Cooper, a good friend of mine, did suggest that I review Knives Out as it's just landed on Amazon Prime recently. Now, obviously, I've already seen it. Um, I'm a big Ryan Johnson fan. I won't get into that right now because I know some people don't quite agree with a, a very particular film that he made, which I actually think was really, really good. Yeah, I'm talking about The Last Jedi. Um, again, that's a, that's a whole different discussion. Might have to do a, a Star Wars special at some point. I don't know. So many plans for the future. It's exciting. Anyway, this week I'm going to review uh, a bunch of films that are basically crime films or crime-related films in some way or, or another. And we're going to start off with Knives Out. Uh, now, as I say, Knives Out is from Ryan Johnson. And it's a murder, murder mystery that's befitting an Agatha Christie novel. novel. In fact, that, that's kind of what he said when he was making it. He said he wanted to make something um, that was influenced by the Agatha Christie-type Poirot novels and stuff like that. Uh, now, Daniel Craig stars as a private investigator with an almost comical southern drawl from the James Bond actor. I mean, you know, we're used to him being Bond. James Bond. That's that's not a Daniel Craig impression. For the life of me, I can't even fucking think about what Daniel Craig sounds like right now. But we're used to him being that guy in this one. It's it's all a bit down here like this. Uh, which is, I, I know, I, I apologize. Listen, America, I know some of you from the South have now started listening. Hello, Florida. I, I appreciate you. Uh, Oklahoma as well. You're not South, you're more mid-America. Uh, mid I don't know. I've got to be careful here. I love you guys, Americans, and I really do appreciate the fact that you're listening. Uh, I don't mean to mock the Southern drawl. Um, I do feel like I can do a good Southern accent, but the more I say that now, the more I feel like there's no chance in hell I'm going to be doing any accents on this show because we have quite an international audience and I don't want to insult too many people. I want to insult, I want to insult, insult some people, just not too many. Anyway, so Daniel Craig, he stars as a private investigator with the Southern drawl. Um, he's called to the home of a wealthy crime novelist, Harlan Thromby who unexpectedly committed suicide the night of a party he'd thrown for his 85th. Whilst foul play is not originally suspected, all attendees have a huge stake in the outcome of Harlan's will, making the timing of his death extremely suspicious. Blanc Benoit, as uh, James Bond... James Bond? No. Um, as your man, Daniel Craig's character is known, Benoit must therefore scrutinise the motives of the, and the alibis of each guest which include Harlan's children and grandchildren, in order to resolve the mystery he's been hired to investigate. However, when emotions flare, old sibling rivalries re-emerge, and soon 
the house is a mess of contradiction and accusation. To say there's more to the story is an understatement. There are so many different layers and so many different characters that this really could be one of those films that, you know, gets a bit too full of itself and gets lost in its narrative. Um, a prime example of this is um, something like Layer Cake, uh, which also starred Daniel Craig, which I, I just did not enjoy because it just kept trying to outsmart itself and it didn't really kind of give enough weight to any particular pop, pop, plot point. So you just kind of like lost your way in it a bit. This doesn't do that. This has um, a very well thought out, meticulously planned story. There's a lot of moving parts and there's a lot of things going on. There are many characters. Um, for example, Chris Evans plays the grandson, Hugh. Um, and Jamie Lee Curtis plays the oldest daughter of Harlan, Linda. Um, and her husband's played by Don Johnson. And uh, one of the kids of the, the wealthy man is also Michael Shannon, an actor that you know I fully appreciate. Um, it also has uh, Lakeith Stanfield as the police detective that works alongside Blanc. Um, and he's a, he's a brilliant... Um, companion to Daniel Craig's character in this film because uh, whilst Daniel Craig's character is uh, amused by the the complex situation um, Lakeith's character is confused by it all and he's constantly surprised by how much um, Blanc has has figured out way in advance of actually revealing what's going on Blanc plays his cards very close to his chest uh, and sometimes acts you know as as in the dark as everyone else, whilst really his suspicions are leading him to the truth. Uh, but there is so much to this story, and I'm not really going to tell you much about what actually happens in the story, because it's a whodunit. It's a crime thriller with lots of plot twists and lots of different, you know, um, storylines that are going on simultaneously. I thoroughly recommend it, because it, you know, as, as I say, with the whole Agatha Christie thing, it really does play out like a really good whodunit. Um, and there are so many different characters that almost distract as much as they kind of add to the plot. Um, because some of them, sometimes, I mean, a, a really good character uh, can be a, a red herring. Um, and your eye is drawn to particular people with suspicion. But at the same time, things are being revealed throughout the film, which most characters aren't privy to, which give you an insight. And it's interesting because you then expect to just be one step ahead of the characters all the time. But what happens is um, their suspicions uh, get played out in a way that opens up new stories and new dynamics to the, the story that really do enhance what's happening. But at the same time, don't necessarily have anything to do with the, the actual murder being investigated. Um, so, yeah, if any of that made sense, I'm 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 you know, surprised, because, I don't know, I feel like I just talked a load of nonsense for about five, ten minutes, but really this is a, this is a, a, a brilliant film and, and thoroughly fun to watch, um, you'll be sucked in, there's some great performances, uh, I love to see um, Chris Evans trying to soften his image after playing Captain America for so long, uh, he literally does it by wearing as much cotton as possible, he wears some woolly garments in this film that, um, yeah, I think that his costume is designed to make him look as, as soft as possible. Um, and whilst he does look soft, he also looks very flammable at times. 
Um, and it's one of those old stately homes with some, you know, amazing fireplaces. I don't know. I'm, I, it's not really a big thing. But stylistically, the film is fantastic. Every character is is created in a way, like their, their costume and hair and makeup are, are done in a way that really kind of makes them into a certain, I don't know. It's almost like they're, they're colours on a palette. And they're used to paint this picture of a, a situation. Um, but it's, yeah, they're, they've all got to have their own place in the in the painting. Jesus, what the hell am I talking about? Just watch the film, all right? It's a really good film. You'll really enjoy it. You won't really know what's going on. And the more that the plot develops, the more you seem to be ahead, the more you actually get the rug pulled out from underneath you. It's it's a fantastic film and, and definitely worth watching. Um, especially if you didn't like The Last Jedi, uh, but you do like Ryan Johnson. If you watched all his previous films and you're thinking, like, so I really just... You know, I loved Looper and Brick and all those ones, and I just wanted to see him do something good again. This is it. This is the film for you. Uh, so check it out. It's on Amazon right now. Um, give it a watch. The next film we're reviewing, because um, is the thing, I sat down and I thought, right, okay, nice out. It's a great film to review, but what else do we have in that kind of genre? Um, and one of my favourite crime films from the last 10 years, and in fact it did actually come out exactly 10 years ago, uh, is The Town. Now, The Town is directed by Ben Affleck, and it's based on the book Prince of Thieves by Chuck Hogan. Uh, it stars Ben Affleck, obviously, um, and Jeremy Renner as part of a gang of bank robbers in Boston. Uh, close friends since childhood, the gang are tight unit, and they work well together and have done a, a great job of keeping the police guessing. However, during a job, they find it necessary to take a hostage whilst they'd make their getaway. Before releasing her unharmed um, um, into the clear... They, they make sure that she's threatened in a way that she'll never forget them. But when they discover she's local to them, Doug, played by Affleck, decides to keep an eye on her to ensure she isn't suspicious of her neighbours. But things become complicated as Doug becomes too close for comfort in the eyes of his cohorts. With loyalties divided and pressure mounting, the former hockey player turned bank robber must try to keep everything from boiling over, but circumstances have resulted in time running out fast. Well-paced and with stellar performances from Affleck and Renner, the latter receiving an Oscar nod for supporting actor, this crime thriller has the, you on the edge of your seat as you feel one step ahead of the protagonists. It has an almost brutal reality to it, with all the moving parts working well together, meaning you're never lost in the story. Now, as I said, there is a lot going on um, with this film. Uh, well, there was a lot going on with the last film, sorry. Uh, with this film, it's, it's, it's a lot simpler, but at the same time... The complications, whilst they seem like small actions, they have massive consequences. So this film, you know, again, it's, it's based on a book. Um, it's been adapted by Ben Affleck, um, who also directs and stars in it. Um, and it's, it's his second uh, film that he's directed after Gone Baby Gone, uh, which was also a fantastic film. And, and straight after this, I think he did Argo. Um, so Ben Affleck has, as a director, I have a lot of respect for him. He does a really great job of this and his other films. Um, but yeah, the town, basically, you know, it's it's a a, a bank robbing thriller about a, a group of guys that they're getting away with it because of how meticulous they are and how they keep to a certain set of rules. And as we've seen before in these kind of crime capers, 
when they slightly start to bend their rules and try to make exceptions, when they get complacent in their success, things start to come apart. And when they unravel, it, it slowly becomes apparent that they they weren't quite as successful as they thought. They were luckier than they thought. And when they're really pushed, the situations escalate quickly and get out of hand really, really quickly. Um, but it's this dynamic between Doug and his his crime family on one side and his potential future on the other side because he's someone that's haunted by his past, by the mistakes he's made. He wants to make new choices and take a different direction that will lead to him having the quality of life that he always wanted. But he's torn because of his loyalties and the situation he's got himself into isn't really one that he can just simply walk away from. So in order to make things work for him, he needs to he needs to have a few too many balls in the air. In fact, he's not just throwing balls into the air and juggling those. He's got knives and chainsaws and Molotov cocktails and everything going on. He's put himself in way too much danger than he ever needed to. And it could result in, in disaster. This is, this is a, a genuinely tense film. And when it came out, I mean, I don't know if I'd seen Gone Baby Gone yet because the, the release of that was delayed for like two years. Um, so I might have forgotten about that one and just ended up watching The Town first. But I remember seeing it and thinking it was a side of Ben Affleck I'd never seen before. And I'm not just talking about him as a director. <clears throat> as an actor as well. He gives a very serious and composed performance in this. It's kind of understated in a way. Like as um as a, a bank robber, he could he could have had like sort of as much, you know, he could have been a, a larger than life character that really kind of commanded that kind of respect from his cohorts. But really, it's this kind of, you know, quiet and calculating character that manages to keep everyone else in check. There's a lot of hotheads in his group, and for it to work, he needs to be the guy. He needs to be the, the rock that holds everything together. Um, but that stability that they, they rely on him for, when he starts making questionable decisions, they start wondering if, you know, they should really have the, the trust in him that they have. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's wonderfully written, um, it's compelling in its complexity, complexity, uh, and it's just one of those films that it leaves you short of breath at times because, as I say, the action, the action pieces, action set pieces are they're done with this furious motion and a movement to them that really kind of have you almost running with them. Um, you know, your pulse races in situations where you're not entirely sure what the outcome's going to be. And it's not one of those films where you just, you think to yourself, like, kind of, well, you know, I'm sure it'll work out in the end. Um, it's not a predictable film. It is a very well-paced film. As I say, there's some high-octane moments, but there's some moments of just times when time seems to, you know, stop and you just feel like people are trapped in a moment they can't get out of 
and that kind of tension is really well done. It's and it's it's as I say, it's palpable. You you really do feel it, and you really are kind of drawn in to the situation these guys find themselves in. Um, the town is available on. Why did I watch that? Was that Netflix? Yeah, I think that's on Netflix. It might be on Amazon as well. But it's been around for 10 years now. I'm sure you'll be able to find it on one streaming service or another. Um, and it's very much worth a watch. Ben Affleck, as a director, is definitely one to keep an eye on. As I say, um, he got an Oscar nod for his directing on Argo. Uh, I don't think he won. He didn't win, did he? Alexa, has Ben Affleck won an Oscar? No, no, what the fuck? Work by Mosque added to my shopping list. I, that woman just does not listen to me at all. Anyway, um, the, the Town is a, a fantastic film and it's definitely worth a watch. Um, if you're into a good, like, sort of crime thriller as far as... Like, I know the last one was a whodunit. This is more of a kind of bank robbery thriller. Um, it's really well done, really well written. Fantastic performances from Ben Affleck and Jeremy Renner. Also from John Hamm and... Uh, from Blake Lively as well, and yeah, it's it's a great great film. Oh, and it also has Pete Postlethwaite in what I believe was his second last film before he died. Um, he plays an old Irish gangster, as you could imagine, and he does a, f- a phenomenal job. He's not in the film for very much, but when he's there, oh my god, he just yeah, he owns the scene, and he has this ability to invoke fear in people with just. A wide-eyed glare. So yeah, check it out. Check it out. It is a great film. I think you'll thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy it. So the last film this week is Good Time. Now, I settled down to re-watch this, thinking that I hadn't seen it. And I don't know why I thought that, because as soon as the film started playing, I was like, I know exactly what's going on here. And I thought, maybe, you know, I stuck it on one night and switched it off after five minutes. Nope. Nope, because there were bits, even when the end credits were coming up, I was thinking, yep, all, all of this is familiar. I don't know how I'd forgotten seeing this film, but this, this is the problem sometimes. I end up watching so many films um, that I kind of lose track. It's a bit weird. Um, when this one came out, I didn't really pay much attention to it. But I think it was when Robert Patterson, Robert Pattinson, was first announced as being the new Batman my ears pricked up and I was like, uh, the, sorry, the Twilight guy? Hmm. So I kind of went on a bit of a discovery of, of um, his other works. Um, like uh, Cosmopolis. Is that, is that what it is? The, um, the Cronenberg film. Was that Cronenberg or was that Lynch? I think it was Cronenberg. Uh, there was also the, um, the Lost City of Z or Z or whatever you want to call it. Um, he's been doing some interesting films over the last you know, seven or eight years uh, since he left the franchise, uh, the Harry Potter franchise and the Twilight franchise, thank God. Um, I never really got through those films. Um, I gave them a try once because um, as a film fan, uh, one of my favourite film critics is Mark Commode. Um, and what I love about Mark Commode is that he's honest about the films that he does and doesn't like. He doesn't just pander to directors. He will tell you exactly what he likes, even if it's a fucking terrible film. And... Um, He's put me on the right track once. I met him once and he advised um, Kings of Summer, which has gone on to become one of my favourite films of all time. It's an absolutely beautiful film. 
but he also said that he had a soft spot for the Twilight franchise. Um, and I watched the first, I don't know, I think it was only the first two or three films. It felt like the first seven or eight. Um, because, dude, what the fuck, man? They, they were just awful. I mean, I think if I was um, a mentally impaired teenage girl, maybe they'd have appealed to me. But just nonsense. Just pure trash. Good God. Um, however, Robert Pattinson, you know, you can't blame an actor for a bad film. Um, I've seen great actors give amazing performances in, in terrible, terrible films. Um, it's kind of like a, a running thing. Um, you know, sort of just try to list great performances from actors in terrible films. Um, luckily, this isn't one of them. Good Time is Robert Pattinson um, doing his indie thing. Because when he walked away from those franchises, I think he looked at his own career and thought, there's a real risk of being typecast here. I'm going to take some films that probably wouldn't, won't do me success in regards to make a lot of money, but as far as me establishing myself as a real actor, um, I've seen a lot of people do similar things. Um, but yeah, basically, uh, Good Time is from indie filmmakers Josh and Benny Safdie, uh, who most recently received acclaim for the Adam Sandler-led Uncut Gems. This film is its predecessor, and it stars Robert Pattinson as Connie, an unhinged criminal who feels he is the only one who can take care of his disabled brother Nick, played by Benny Safdie. But his way of taking care of him is by coercing him into participating in a bank robbery, and it's soon apparent that Nick is not in safe hands. When things go wrong, the pair are split up and Connie is left with the desperate task of getting his brother out of jail by any means necessary. Through a series of misguided attempts to use people to his advantage, Connie creates more and more trouble for himself as one half-conceived plan after another falls apart and leaves him drowning in situations he can't keep track of. His passion is palpable, but his ability to see himself as the problem rather than the solution could ultimately prove to be his downfall. Now, when I re-watched this, I didn't realise that it was the Safdie brothers that had made it. Um, because I, I looked at them a little bit when Uncut Gems came out, but not much. I was more interested in what they were doing next, and I didn't really, um, I don't know why. I, I, I think I just anticipated something coming up that, that I thought they were involved in. Um, but yeah, again, they're another, they're another uh, group, uh, a couple of filmmakers that have done <clears throat> fantastically well, uh, in association with Netflix. Um, and yeah, they're a year apart, the two of them, and they've basically grew up making films together. And they do pretty much everything. They write, they produce, they direct, they act, uh, they edit, they do the sound, they do everything. Everything you can possibly think. These guys are very, very passionate and very determined, so they don't, you know, leave it in anyone else's hands but their own. And they make films that they want to make in their own style. And after watching um, Good Time and Uncut Gems... Uh, you do get a, a feel for their style of filmmaking. Um, they 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 go for this kind of gritty uh, reality with their camera work, which is almost like documentary style at times, the way it's capturing people uh, and capturing moments. Um, it, there are times when the, the, the film feels unscripted and improvised, um, and 
it's that kind of situation that makes all of the characters seem really, really real. Um, and you, you build an empathy for them very, very quickly. Uh, whether they're right or wrong, you feel like you want things to work out for them. So you're you're on their side and you're backing them all the way through it. But you therefore end up feeling the frustration of the mistakes they make and the stupidity of their decisions. Which really kind of it's 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 a weird situation where you're you want them to you want things to work out for them, but at no point do you feel they deserve it. Um you feel a lot of sympathy for Nick, um, and you feel a lot of empathy for Connie. But you never feel empathy for, for Connie. You understand that every time he does something, every time he uses someone, every time he takes advantage of a situation, every time, you know, he thinks of himself first, you do think to yourself, well, you fucking deserve it. Um, but when you remember that his whole passionate determination, his whole mission is to ensure that his, his brother goes free, um, you want him to succeed even if you don't really approve of his methods, you know that the innocent party is the one that's like suffering the most. So you want this moron. Um, and he's not like just, I don't mean that in a comical sense. I mean, he's, he's you know, his own worst enemy throughout the film. And the, the things that he gets involved with, uh, the way it kind of spirals, he doesn't seem to have any real comprehension of the people around him and how they feel or, or, or think. He's a bit of a sociopath in that way, really. Um, he's just singular focused on on his what he wants and what he wants to achieve. Um, at times, you're not entirely sure that it's got anything to do with his brother. You know, it's all about him winning and him achieving and not letting anyone or anything stand in his way. Um, and even when it seems like sort of you know, there are people in his life that are, you know, he's got that person alongside him, then he might be able to achieve something. But he ends up abusing them as well. And it's just, you're, you're, you're pulling your hair out thinking, you could do something here, you could really achieve something and you could you could be the hero, but you can't get out of your own fucking way. And that's where Robert Pattinson is fantastic, because he really has this believable, manic way about him. Um where he's just, you don't, if, if you found out that he was pumped full of some kind of drugs, you, you'd be like, yeah, all right, that makes sense. What's it, meth? Yeah, absolutely, I can see that. It's really him, his mentality is the poison which is seeping into his life and destroying it. Um, it's his personality, it's his, uh, it's his inability to, to use logic and reason in a way that better serves him and the people that he cares about. It's a calamity, but it's fantastically done. It's really well acted. It's really well, um, all the performances. Benny playing the brother, as well as doing the uh, directing and, um, you know, producing and everything like that. He gives a, a fantastic performance. Um, and it's it's so very subtle, but it's so, I don't know, just almost, it's, it's like it's almost spilling over with emotion. But he keeps it steady. He tries to keep it steady all the way through. But you just feel heartbroken for him and what he goes through. Because you know that he doesn't fully understand the circumstances. Um, he doesn't really understand the, the situation that led to the circumstances. Not not really much of it uh, makes sense. 
and you just you feel so sorry for him at times and you want things to go well for him but that means putting your faith in in the fucking disaster of a brother that he has um but yeah great performances all around um a really great film another one of those that has you sweating because there's so much going on that you just feel you know there's there's an unnecessary amount of disaster that's conjured up by the protagonists that just makes you stressed whilst you're watching it and it's the same with uncut gems you know adam sanders character in that film is again his own worst enemy um and there's this stressful tension that rides throughout the whole film that really has you just kind of biting your nails to the very very end and it's one of those things that you, you kind of feel like you need to go and just step outside for a second afterwards and take a deep breath and just take it all in and let your you know pulse rate go down a little bit um and it's it's really worth watching if you're curious as to what uh robert patterson can do in regards to batman because he is obviously playing batman and he's talked about what a great script it is um for him to take a step back into a franchise like that Obviously not something that he would have been considering um, post-Potter and Twilight. And with the amount of indie films and stuff that he's been doing, with the amount of great acting that he's been allowed to do, you know that he wouldn't really walk into a role like this unless he really felt like it's something that he could do something special with. Um, and really kind of, you know set himself apart from all the, the Val Kilmers and the Cloonies and all those people that have all the, the Batmanses that have appeared in the past. Uh, <clears throat> might have to wrap this up soon because my voice is going. But yeah, as far as Robert Pattinson is concerned, he gives a fantastic performance in this. This is really is a, a, a great role. And what really surprised me as well is I know he's English. I know he's got a normal British accent. But he's you, he's one of those British actors that does the Queen's accent. And I don't mean the, the Queen of England. I mean Queen's New York. Uh, so very, very well. Um, I remember people remarking on uh, Riz Ahmed when he did The Night at the Night Of, which was a HBO series. And people were quite surprised when he was um, doing the, the, the press tour for the, the show that he wasn't actually from the Bronx. That he was actually... Uh, a London boy, um, essentially. But yeah, um, it's it's just like that with this one. You 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 don't suspect Robert Pattinson of of putting on a voice at any point. He gives a very natural performance, um, and he seems very natural as this unhinged, you know, liability of a guy. Um, so I'm I'm now more excited about what he's gonna do with the Batman. Um, I mean, there's there's so much that could work, and there's so many elements in place now that are really, really promising. But you never know. You never know what's going to work with these films. I mean, when we had the original Batman films, the Tim Burton ones, they were much darker than anyone expected. Um, and it's kind of the reason why he didn't end up doing a third one. There was a lot of pressure on from the studios to kind of brighten it up a bit. Um... And I think the studio was more a fan of the uh, Adam West TV series than they were of the comics. 
Of course, Tim Tim Burton being Tim Burton, when he was researching the Batman films, he went straight to like the Frank Miller graphic novels and stuff like that. The really kind of dark and gritty um, Dark Knight stories. Um, and the studio thought they were doing well by... I, I don't mean to, you know, bad say anything bad about Joel Schumacher. Um, rest in peace. He was a fantastic filmmaker, but even he admits that these films were, you know, not the ones that he wants to be remembered for. Um, but it, it became all neon colours and Jim Carrey, you know, gyrating all the time. Um, anyone thought about that? Jim Carrey's big thing for a long time was just thrusting those hips in a comical fashion. You you watch back. You think about every movie he's been in. How much of it is about him thrusting his hips just to kind of emphasise a certain enthusiasm? Anyway, I digress. The Batman films kind of went a bit camp and silly and ridiculous for a while. Um, and what do they do when they wanted to kind of reboot it and kind of give it, a, you know, make it exciting for a modern audience? They went back to the Dark Knight trilogy. Um, well, the Dark Knight books and created the Dark Knight trilogy. Um... So yeah, then we've got Batfleck. Um, there's amazing, uh, you know, links to the t t today's podcast. So when Ben, ben Affleck did, um, when he, he joined Justice League as, or well, he joined Batman versus Superman as Batman, the idea was that he would do uh, Zack Snyder's films, because um, it was kind of a trilogy, Man of Steel, Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice, and then Justice League. Um but after that, there was an agreement that he would um, direct and star in his own singular Batman trilogy um, that was based on some of the old detective comics making... Because basically, Batman is the greatest detective of all time. That's how his character was put across. Um, so he wanted to do that. But after the whole Zack Snyder thing, when they brought Joss Whedon in, there was a bad taste in everyone's mouth and... A lot of people started walking away from the project, including him. Um, and I think it's quite telling now that with Zack Snyder doing his, you know, his cut of the Justice League, that Ben signed back on not just to do this one, but maybe several. Who knows? Um, but yeah, that's pretty much it for this week. Um, as I say, next week you'll be getting a review of an actual film that I've actually seen at an actual cinema, actually. Um, midweek, we're going to be getting our first special edition episode, which is going to be all about Steven Spielberg, uh, how he's influenced the film industry and how he continues to influence pop culture in general. Um, uh, but beyond that, not really much else to report. Um, yeah, still absolutely, you know, gobsmacked by the support the podcast gets. I really do appreciate everyone that does tune in every week. I'm seeing more and more of you. As I say, in America, we're, we're, we're spreading. We're spreading across the state. Still a great following in New York. How's it going, New York? How the fuck are you? Um, and, you know, great followings in Michigan, uh, Virginia, California, Oklahoma, Florida, New Jersey. It's all there. Um, also, we're seeing more international audiences. We're seeing, like, India, Sri Lanka. Um, we're seeing Thailand. We're seeing Sweden, Slovakia. Um, yeah, it's been it's been a number of different places. Um, really want to see more people listen in Australia. Um, and I say that because not only do I have friends in Australia, I have family in Australia, and 
with all my downloads and listens, it comes up on a map where people are. And I know that no one in Australia is listening. That breaks my heart. So I don't, I mean, obviously no one right now is going to be listening going, you know what, he's right. I'm from Australia and I need to listen to the podcast. I understand that that, that's not how things work and that they're not actually listening at the moment, that they won't be listening in the future. But if you know anyone from Australia and they're into films and you enjoy the podcast, give them a shout, make them listen to it, tell them you're on a mission to get Australian listeners to the podcast. Um, But yeah, again, if any of you really like the podcast, please do give the link a share. Um, You don't have to write your review of it. You don't have to tell people that you think it's brilliant, anything like that. Just share it. Um, People are discovering it on their own. Uh, There are people listening who I've never spoken to. Uh, I don't know how they would have heard from me. So it is finding its audience. But you can play a part in that. And I appreciate the fact that a lot of you have done that. Um, I think it's no coincidence that um, Noel from Hidden Gems Podcast is New York-based. Uh, and he's promoted my podcast. And what do you know, most of the people that listen in America are from New York. So it's no coincidence. Um, and again, if you want to hear another film podcast, and you want something slightly different to the way I do it, go and check out a Hidden Gem. A Hidden Gems, a, a movie podcast. Uh, basically, Noel and Lynette break down a film each every week. It's about an hour long. They take it in turns. And uh, I tell you what, the dynamic between those two characters is fantastic because, you know, they don't kiss each other's ass. They don't always agree on stuff, but they're always willing to listen to each other and kind of challenge each other on their views. It's something that I enjoy listening to. So I think you should give that a try too. Um, But yeah, in the meantime, um, I've got nothing much else for you. I say I look forward to um, doing more of this podcast. Keep an eye on the social media to find out what's happening next. Um, But until next week, peace, love, empathy. I appreciate the fuck out of you as per usual. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Enjoy your week and enjoy your movies. All right, take care. Bye-bye.